You're listening to a sermon from Garden City Church in Beaumont, California. For more information, visit GardenCityChurch.co. I love the lyrics to that song, and it says, And if you're hopeless, then let me show you there's hope in the Jesus way. There's hope in the Jesus way. And it's not the kind of hope like, I hope this pastor doesn't go too long so we can get to the barbecue, or I hope the weather cools down. No, instead, it's the kind of hope that makes you want to continue pressing forward. It's the kind of hope that is true and meaningful, and it's found in Christ Jesus. Pastor Brad and I, we go way back. Um, I like to say I was a pastoral intern with him at Harvest, but the reality is, is I was a pastoral intern for him. And so if I deliver this sermon poorly, you can uh, talk to him about that. Uh, I'm just kidding. But about three years ago, uh, my family and I moved to Gresham, Oregon area, just east of Portland. And I currently serve as the student ministry pastor at Good Shepherd Community Church. And uh, whenever I'm here visiting family, Garden City is our church. And so I, I am honored to be able to, to bring the word this morning as you guys continue in this series on perseverance. Our passage this morning is going to give us a hope that helps us to rejoice no matter the circumstances of our life. As followers of Jesus, we live a life of hope because we have a living hope. We have a confident expectation of what's to come. And so let's pray and then we'll open up Romans 5 together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it corrects us and it reproves us and it trains us for all righteousness. We pray that you would do that this morning. And as we approach your word, would you give us a heart of humility? Would you give us an attitude of submission as we lay ourselves before your word? Heavenly Father, speak to your people. Your people are listening. And help us to not just be doers or hearers, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. We're going to read Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, 
though perhaps for a good person one might dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. The apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome and whenever Paul writes, therefore, we need to understand what he's building off of. And so if we were to summarize the first four chapters of Romans, It would be something like all humanity is trapped in sin and needs to be rescued. We were guilty. We were dead in our trespasses. We were following the course of this world. And this rescue won't happen by trying to obey all of the laws of the Old Testament. It's not going to happen that way. God's righteousness has brought rescue through his son, Jesus, so that what he promised to Abraham in Genesis 15 would be fulfilled. God is faithful to fulfill his promises. This gives us a sure foundation. And the first truth I want us to see this morning is number one, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Here's how John Piper put it. He said, the glory of God is not yet manifest in full. Even though the heavens declare the glory of God and Jesus himself is the image and reflection of that glory. There is so much more coming that we now live in hope. We wait, we wait for Christ. We wait for health. We wait for righteousness and we wait for the glory of God. Listen, Garden City, while we wait, while we persevere, while we run the race before us, we look to the finisher and perfecter of our faith. And we can be confident because we have a sure hope. We don't wait and wonder if it's going to turn out well. We wait with confidence and in joy of the glory of God. Why? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we are justified. We are justified. Justification is this rich Old Testament word that Paul is using. It's this word that means to declare righteous. It's what Jesus has done for us. We're given a new status before God. Instead of guilty, we are declared forgiven. And the person who trusts in the work of Jesus is given a new status, is given a new family, is given a new future in Christ. All throughout Romans 4, Paul writes about Abraham being this example for us as one who's counted 
as righteous because of his faith. Look at this, this verse in Romans 4, 21. It's a beautiful. Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Are you fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised? You are justified. You are given a new name. You are declared righteous and it has nothing to do with who you were before Christ. You are a new creation. Before I was a Christian, I had a lot of different names. My family could tell you that I was a liar. I was a thief. I was a pregnancy statistic. I was a stoner. I was a drunk. I was just some angry kid. But not today. I am no longer a slave to my sin. My heart of stone has been replaced with a heart of flesh. I've been given a new spirit within me. The same spirit that rose Christ from the dead now dwells in every believer. And although there's a struggle, as Paul later describes in Romans 7, I do not set my mind on the things of the flesh, but I set my mind on the things of the spirit, which lead to life and peace. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I am justified by faith in him. And I pray that each and every one of you this morning can say the same, that you are justified by faith. And not only that, but you rejoice in that. We also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we have peace with God. Verse 10 says, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Verses 6 through 10 of our passage give a description of us. We were weak. While we were ungodly. While we were enemies. While we were deserving God's wrath. Did we have peace with God? No. There was separation. There was hostility. God is perfectly just in his judgment and our sins separated ourselves from him. Our relationship was hindered in Genesis 3 when humanity chose to rebel and each and every one of us have been following that same pattern. We were far from him. We can't miss this. If we don't understand this part, we lighten the weight of the gospel. If we miss this, then we minimize the love that God has for us. I need this passage because we were 100% guilty and deserving his full wrath, but God in his love and kindness. I need to be reminded of this because I can get so familiar with these truths and I can hear a statement like, we have peace with God. And my mind can quickly understand it because I've heard it so many times, but my heart 
doesn't respond the way that it should. Far be it from me if I lose the weight of this and minimize the gospel or I minimize the love that God has for us or if I allow my familiarity to breed contempt, I don't ever wanna be in a place where these deep truths of the gospel about Jesus, about what God has done for us, become normal or routine. This kind of attitude towards Jesus may may lead us to lose our awe of him. So I ask you this morning, Is Jesus just the answer to your Sunday school question? Or is he our beautiful Lord who makes his claim upon our lives to whom we owe everything, who alone gives us lasting joy and who deserves all of our worship? We have peace with God because of him. I mean, imagine that you're estranged from a friend. Like there is serious distance between you and this person and you're entirely at fault. Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's with your husband, maybe it's with a friend that you haven't talked to for many years and you know that you're at fault and you're bothered by it. But the neglect on your part has been so serious that there's no possibility for the relationship to be restored. And then suddenly, the offended party does all that is necessary to reestablish the relationship and grants it to you. This is what God does for us in Christ Jesus, for all who trust in him. We are completely at fault. Neglect, sin, rebellion, all of it. God is the offended party. And yet he does all that is necessary to reestablish the relationship with us. And no one can take it away from you because no one gave it to you. You didn't earn it. God gave it to you. And it can't be changed because of your circumstances. It can't be changed because of that relapse or that failure or that things aren't the way that you thought they would be. Your peace with God is based on the finished work of Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection was given to reestablish the brokenness that you you have experienced bringing beauty out of the ashes. That's what our God does. That's who he is. He died for his enemies and he welcomes you in as his children. This is cause for celebration. This is cause for rejoicing. We also rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because we stand in his grace. Romans 5.2 says, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We have access into a personal relationship with God to boldly go before his throne. I love the way that Timothy Keller put it. He said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. Don't you love that? 
to understand the full weight of this, I think that we have to look back. Think of Adam and Eve after they sinned and what happened. God drove them out of the garden. Man was no longer to have immediate access into the presence of God where they walked together. And then you fast forward and you think about what God promised Moses, that he'd be in the midst of the people in the tabernacle. But even then, it was only the high priest that was able to go into this place once a year on the day of atonement. No one was allowed direct access into God's presence except the high priest on this one day in this one room. The room was called the Holy of Holies. And there was this massive curtain of several layers and folds that separated anyone from coming into the Holy of Holies. A veil that separated them. And that veil remained there until the very hour of Jesus' death. Matthew 27. It says, and behold, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The sin of man was atoned for and those who are justified were able to freely come into the presence of God. The barrier between God and man was removed and we can boldly go before God, go before his throne in prayer and ask for whatever we need and we receive grace and more of him. We receive his presence, not as something that we've earned, but rather God's mercy and grace making it possible for us to have fellowship with him, right? Even think of the way the curtain tore. It wasn't from bottom to top as if man could do it himself. No, it was from God and it was only through him it was only something that he could accomplish and we gain from it. And when you repent, when you turn from your own way and you turn towards Christ, trusting in this work, his righteousness is given to you and you have access to God. It is a grace in which we stand. We've been elevated to a position of privilege, grace upon grace to stand in the presence of God. This first part of our passage gives us strong confidence and assurance. The hope of the glory of God has shown upon us through the gospel. We don't wait and wonder if it'll turn out well. We can wait and know that the glory of God is our eternal portion. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And these statements are the foundation of the rest of our passage. They are what gives us hope and confidence to push forward in perseverance. You can answer, I rejoice because I know I am justified. I know I have peace with God. I know that I stand in the center of his grace. This is the hope that we have but not everybody does, right? Some run the race with the hope of winning 
fame or fortune or crown or cash prize, but we run with something even better as our hope, the hope of eternity with our God. The assurance of God's love and faithfulness gives us a hope and an endurance that outweighs any kind of hope or prize that this world has to offer. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In verse three, Paul begins his next thought. He writes, not only that, which is like the Greek version of, hey, but wait, there's more. Not exactly what we would expect, but he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So number two, we rejoice in our sufferings. At the beginning of this series, Pastor Brad talked about those who were deconstructing their faith. And often it's these sufferings that drop the first domino towards that process. Suffering has driven many from the faith. But Paul shows us how one seemingly undesirable thing actually leads to something better, a better hope. And I know we can hope in a lot of things. Maybe it's I hope for approval or success. I hope for no drama, no arguments with my spouse or kids, no conflict. I hope for ease and comfort. I hope for that new house or that new car that my family and I need. I hope to get the recognition at work that I deserve. Frankly, I hope not to suffer. And yet the Lord instructs us through Paul that we not only rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because they're purposeful. Because they produce a hope that doesn't disappoint. And Paul writes this with experience. He writes in 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about how he pleaded with the Lord three times to remove an, an affliction from him. And the Lord responded, but my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul said, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He said, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I loved listening to the testimonies on your podcasts of Joey and Robert and Barbara. Your stories, right? These stories of hardship are beautiful reminders that even in our weaknesses, even in our sorrows or hardships or persecutions, we have a God who is lovingly at work in our lives. 
And there will be times when we don't understand because of the effects of sin or brokenness in this world. And yet we trust in Christ because he demonstrated his love for us. We can trust our God as the perfect and faithful one who handles us with love and care. And here's what we'll find. We'll find that his grace is sufficient for you. I mentioned how our family had moved from California to Oregon almost three years ago. And to be honest with you, it's been one of the most difficult things that we've had to do. And we knew just through the process that the Lord was calling us up there, but I had no idea at how challenging it would be to move away from both of our families, to move away from friendships that we've invested in for over 10 years, to move during COVID, right? To move and start all over and be out of our comfort zone. And yet in our sufferings, in our affliction, we found opportunities to rely on God in our own weakness. And some of the sweetest moments were just in this place of weakness where we were met with God's comfort and God's grace and God's joy. Our hope doesn't merely survive suffering. Suffering strangely makes our hope stronger. This is what our God does. We rejoice in our sufferings because it leads us through this cycle this progression to endure and that endurance does something to our character, it forms it. And that character that's proven through hardship and suffering produces another hope, a better hope, a hope that does not disappoint us. This kind of hope is certain because it relies upon God's power, his promises and his sacrifice. Those other things that we hope in aren't necessarily wrong, but they will disappoint you. And at the end of the day, our confidence in God cannot be determined by our current moment of suffering. We do not measure the goodness and power of God by our immediate moment. We measure the goodness and power of God by the death and resurrection of God's son by the fact that God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. God knows that you're going to hurt. God knows that you're going to mourn, that there's gonna be times where you don't understand something. And just like our kids can come to us lacking an understanding or a perspective that we may have on something for their own good usually, they can come to us angry and upset, but they better remember who they're talking to, right? We can be as angry and upset or confused as we want. Read the Psalms. They are filled with these prayers of confusion and anger, but we don't get to measure how good God is based on our limited perspective. Our confidence in him or our joy is not rooted in our circumstances. Our confidence will be based on the love that he has demonstrated towards us, based on the hope that does not disappoint because his love has been poured into our hearts. Those who know Christ 
have a hope that no affliction can take away. This hope in Christ chases away despair. And that illness, that pain, that sin and death, all part of the fall and they they daily plague us, but in Christ, we have a better hope. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And when he returns, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death and sin shall be no more. The formal things will pass away and our God will be with his people, right? Amen? So we rejoice in our sufferings because it reminds us of a savior who knows our sufferings and enters into our suffering. He took on the full weight of our sin. He took the punishment that you deserve. He took the full wrath of God the Father upon himself so that you wouldn't have to. We need to see our suffering through the lens of the gospel. Timothy Keller, again, he's just brilliant. And he wrote, the gospel is this, We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. And then lastly, number three, we rejoice in God. Our passage concludes in verse 11 and says, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. The highest, best, most satisfying prize of the gospel is not justification, it's not peace, it's not freedom from wrath. It's right here in verse 11 when he says, much more than that. Much more than what? More than salvation from wrath. More than justification. We rejoice in God himself. There is nothing higher than knowing and delighting in and enjoying the God who created you and wants to be in relationship with you forever. The end of the gospel is we rejoice in God. What makes the hope of heaven so awesome and wonderful is the fact that we, God will be there and we will experience him fully. I have a few next step takeaways for you this week as you, as you just seek to apply this message. Number one is start each day this week by reflecting on the character of God, by choosing a different attribute of God that makes you rejoice. And so what is that? Maybe it's his faithfulness. Maybe it's the fact that you know Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that makes you rejoice. That makes you joyful. And so you're gonna reflect on God's faithfulness. Or maybe it's his sovereignty. Maybe it's the fact that, you know what? I don't understand, but I know that God does because he is sovereign and he's in control. And that's an attribute of God that brings me joy. And so I'm gonna meditate on that. Number two, this week, Work on memorizing a passage of scripture with a friend or your family and choose a promise that brings you joy. What is that? Maybe it's Romans 8.1. This was the first one I memorized. There's therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like that brings me joy to know the enemy doesn't, he isn't allowed to condemn me. 
I am victorious in Christ. Or maybe it's the end of Romans 8 that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Some promise found in scripture that you would memorize with a friend or with your family this week so that you can turn to that when you're tempted to doubt, when you're tempted not to trust, when you're tempted to just feel sorry for yourself, that you would turn to a promise found in scripture. And then lastly, every day this week, seek out someone new to express your gratitude for the ways in which God has worked or is currently working in your life. There's something about just sharing what God has done with the people around you that brings, that just refuels us, that brings this joy of our salvation back to us. And so find those people in your life that need to hear how God is working or how he has worked in your life and share that with others. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound and hope. There's a past, present, and future aspect of God working in your life. Therefore, our rejoicing is for what God has done, for what God is currently doing, and for what God is going to do. He's not finished yet. So we rejoice. And as we approach the Lord's table or communion, that's exactly one of the things that we do. We rejoice, we look forward to the day where death and sin will be no more and we will be with our God fully. We will be with our loved ones who know and have trusted him. We will enjoy him. We also remember we, as we approach communion, we look back on the sacrifice that Jesus has paid for us. We look back that he gave up himself who knew no sin became sin so that we might be counted righteous. He shed his blood for us. We also repent, we look within, we confess any sin in our lives. We repent, we turn from them and we trust that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. As we approach communion, we also Lastly, we recognize, we recognize one another. We look around and we see one another as as one body, one church, and we partake in communion together. And it demonstrates the love and unity that we should have as one church together. Amen. We're gonna pray and then you'll come up and receive the bread and the cup. Uh, And then after everyone has received that, Pastor Brad will come back up and pray for us and we'll partake together.